Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, a Toyota GR Yaris special edition. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And I would like to warn regular listeners that on this special edition, it is a special occasion because we are pausing the normal Alan drinking game for fear of my kidneys, livers, and everything. <laughs> I don't have enough beer in the house for this special edition. So we are pausing the normal rules in this instance. <laughs> you are such a toad. <laughs> you really are. All I said all I said was make sure you warn people that this is going to be long and geeky. <laughs> yeah, well I have. I have Okay, that's them. what he was meant to do. That's there, exactly and he what I've done. Me. I have ju- yeah. I have just said you I do not know. need the three crates of drink of your choice for this episode. That's what I've said. Well, I'm really hoping that apart from in a couple of places, I have avoided sitting here and trying to make too too many comparisons to my current car. Okay? It has been an aim to try and avoid that. Okay. We will judge you on this. You do realise. I'm sure, yeah. Well, Harshly, it, but we'll judge honestly, you. Honestly, <laughs> so, so last Friday I was at the launch of the Toyota GR Yaris. And I mean, it would be wrong of me to even pretend that a certain percentage of my aim of being there was as a road test and a test drive, as well as to try to be all grown up and motoring journalisty. It's okay. We all knew that. Okay. So I, I fessed that up <laughs> right here, right now. Everybody knew that. It was a foregone conclusion, but I just want you all to know that any form of journalistic integrity I might have on this or lack of bias may well collapse at any moment. And I just want everyone to know that and be completely self-aware about it. Yes. If they are long-term listeners and followers, they will be aware that you have been anticipating this vehicle and getting to see this vehicle for some time. However, we do trust you enough that if you find anything you are less than over-enamoured with, you will mention it. So go on then, Alan. What is the GR Yaris? Notionally, it is the second of the Toyota Yaris family, obviously following the Yaris hatch, which is already out, and the the Yaris Cross, which is coming at the start of 2021. It's not really a Yaris, though. Let's make that completely clear right at the start. Uh, It is a Yaris in marketing only. The front half of this vehicle is shared with the, the same platform as the Yaris. The rear half is a is a fudge of CHR and Corolla. Okay. And a bit of pieces put together there. It's really the third car of the Toyota three sports car lineup uh, oh, okay. that they've been talking about for many years. So they said for a long time there was going to be the Supra or the GR Supra. There was going to be the GT or probably going to be relaunched, I imagine, as the GR86 because it keeps being referred to only as 86 these days, okay. and the GR Yaris. So uh, sorry, folks who wanted a new MR2, unlikely to get the MR2 now, because all three of those slots are are filled. The 86 is hardly a, a bad option, though. No, it's hardly a bad option. It's a lovely car to drive. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that's worth noticing there of the, the three is that the GR Supra, of course, is in association with a German company that everybody has to mention every time they talk about Supra. The 86 is in conjunction with Subaru. The GR Yaris is pure Toyota. It is Toyota and Toyota alone. Okay. So whereas previous slightly nutty Yaris-based cars were maybe developed in conjunction with hypothetically Lotus, in fact, not hypothetically at all, then this time it is pure Toyota. 
Toyota and Toyota alone. The car really was, uh, it started out to be a purpose-built rally car for homologation. That was meant to be introduced in the 2021 uh, WRC series, uh, season even. Uh, But of course, uh, then lots of things happened and WRC said, no, no, just keep on using the same cars as you're already using. Depending on what happens after <laughs> 2021, <laughs> depends on whether or not this is uh, this uh, rally-developed car ever actually races in the series it was intended to. Yeah, but on that front, though, and just quick, a quick aside, yeah. Toyota and Ford are the two that are definitely in. Yes, they are. It is just a question of Hyundai on that one. Just to, re- uh-huh. just to remind people who were following along with the new show. Because it's intended for homologation, they have to build... 25,000 vehicles with this body shell to qualify. Okay. Uh, so they have every intention of doing so no matter what. It's interesting. Actually, the closest vehicle that I can think of to this, where it's a very sort of uh, well-known uh, nameplate, which is applied across a number of vehicles, but it's a unique platform and body mm-hmm. with some bits and pieces that have been brought across from the production car is the Escort Cosworth. Okay. People are going to go, really? It can't possibly be because it's not a fast forward. But the closest thing that you will find to this car is an Escort Cosworth. And the reason I'm not saying a WRX and I'm not saying a, I'm not saying a Lancer is that those kept essentially the same body, the same silhouette and the same platform as the production cars here. Not really. It's really only the name. Okay. And bits of dashboard and stuff like that. Think of it as a modern Escort Cosworth with a smaller wing on the back. With all of that in mind, there was an interesting sort of birth to this car and an interesting story behind it in that all of the original requirements came from the WRC team and Tommy Mackinnon and and, and his crew in Finland uh, and Estonia. So they set out all their requirements. They sent them to Japan. The Japanese went, oh, okay, then. And they tried to engineer something that was as close to the requirements as possible, occasionally going, no, hang on a minute, that's going a bit far. Supposedly the drop in the real roof line is one of those compromises because the folks from Toyota said, you know what, actually, we we do kind of need some back seats in this. (laughs) And we do need room for people's heads. So sorry, but this is as far as we can go. So there was that kind of stuff. Some toing and froing about went on uh, with the final tweaks in Japan. Um, the rally team had a hand in the development, lots of development driving in it, as well as, as Akio Toyoda himself, lots and lots and lots of input to really develop this car. And the chief engineer put lots and lots of work into this. So this is not, whilst I say it's Yaris in name only, it's a point of marketing, the actual vehicle itself has been done top to bottom completely Mm -hmm. just nuts levels of development in ways that road cars and production cars normally aren't developed and tested okay cars themselves built in japan at the motomashi factory and it's the one that they use for special projects and cool stuff it's where mark for super were built i think lfas were built there if i remember correctly and it's like the Nissan Pike factory. It's the place that Toyota use for their special stuff. And they've got highly manual production lines, highly manual, highly adaptable production lines, actually, okay. uh, which don't run a conveyor like normal production lines. They're where it's always moving along and people have to do their tasks and that. It actually uses production cells instead. And each 
body is mounted on a, a little autonomous vehicle, guided vehicle, <laughs> that can drive around, go into the cell. Uh, that does all sorts of things like making sure that the vehicle is getting less jiggling. It means things can be better aligned, so the suspension alignment and all that kind of thing is absolutely spot on, far more accurate when it leaves the factory. And they use only their most highly skilled technicians there as well. Okay. So lots of stuff done by hand. It's not more old school, but it's... More specialist. Yeah, absolutely. For a, for a mass market manufacturer. Absolutely. Well, it's one of these kind of things where um, when they're talking, giving us the presentation and then the video presentation as well, the thing about Toyota is Toyota production system is what it's famed for. Everything is mechanized. Everybody has a job. Everybody's doing the thing. This is actually changing that. This is the other end of that. Okay. Because we're saying sometimes they have a challenge where people get too used to that setup. And so actually what they do now is they make sure that people come out of that environment. They maybe do secondments to the rally team, to Guzzi Racing in Germany and the World Endurance team and all these kind of things. And they, they move them around lots. And similarly, they get some of the folk from the rally team to work in the factories and mix it that way as well. So that they're actually making sure people are aware that they can work in that sort of highly reactive uh, or proactive manner mm. as well. So they they feel that this kind of thing is is very good for development and, and employee development and all these kind of things. So it's not just a marketing ploy of having some flagship vehicles. They have seen that they can take advantage of that within the company too. Yes. Cool. I like that. Uh, there's lots of other stuff around the WSC homologation. Lots of things about the body panels, roof panels come to that shortly. There are three trim levels, all of which have the same engine. It's a 1.6-litre turbo triple with a six-speed manual gearbox putting out 257 brake horsepower. That's about 260 to 261 metric horses. It's artificially limited to a mere 143 miles an hour <laughs> and does 0 to 62 miles an hour in 5.5 seconds. Quick question. Turbo mm -hmm. triple, is that three-cylinder? That is three-cylinder three cylinder yes. with not, a turbo. Not triple turboed. <laughs> It's not a triple turbo. It is a single fixed vein turbo with ball bearings. Thank you. I swear there's like 20 odd pages here. Just <laughs> He's been threatened. He's been very careful about what he asks about it so far. There is actually so much nerdism that it just wasn't right to try and jam it all into the podcast. So I've actually had to edit it heavily on the way through here yes remember that on hour three everyone just yeah yeah because it, it could quite easily do that i mean i was threatened after extracting the urine i was threatened with three hours of technical presentation and my only response was stop it i like it <laughs> anyway three trim levels there is gr yaris a gr yaris with the convenience pack and gr yaris with the circuit pack and that's all we're being offered you can choose your color you can have that that's it here in the uk for most of europe some of you out there on the internet will be upset by this because you have seen that in other territories around the world, there are more options being offered. There are also more colours, that kind of thing, being offered. And yet we're being quite limited. There are a couple of reasons for that. It's about emissions. It's about making sure stuff makes the appropriate financial or sales sense. And there's also the simple point of packaging, Sometimes some things go in the place where in a different pack, something else would have to go. It's a very small car with a very big engine, quite a lot of transmission. There's not a lot of spare space. Okay. This is what we have just now, and that's why. Similarly, optional cages, that kind of thing. 
Not at the moment. If ever, but not at the moment. Uh, it is, I'm told that people are looking at things like that centrally, don't even know if it's going to happen anywhere in the world, let alone Europe and the UK or, or anything like that. Nobody really knows. They're trying to get the actual car launched first, but there might be absolutely nothing come of it because just because it would be too expensive to make proper financial sense for anyone let alone club rally teams and the kind of people who would buy that mm -hmm. i'm sure there'll be aftermarket cages along very very shortly all of those three packs all have the multi-mode four-wheel drive the gr4 transmission worth mentioning as another little aside gr4 is the name of the transmission not the name of the car it is the gr yaris the very first pictures came out where someone in marketing had decided to emblazon gr4 up the side of it yes everybody else is now trying to unpick that because it got stuck in people's heads so it's the gr yaris the drivetrain which is the first toyota four-wheel drive completely new drivetrain in many years 20 odd years or something i think it said that is called GR4. Okay. Convenience Pack takes the standard spec, which is pretty generous. It's got all the stuff that you'd kind of really want in a car. So you get your, you know, your dual zone climate control, your ultra suede seats, you know, all the stuff you'd expect in a car anyway, these days at that kind of level. And then Convenience Pack adds parking sensors, a JBL stereo, built-in sat-nav, a head-up display and mood lighting to the standard setup. The circuit pack ignores the convenience pack, goes straight back to the base GR Yaris and adds on Dawson limited slip diffs, front and rear, different larger brakes and suspension, 10 spoke forged alloy wheels instead of the standard 15 spoke ones and Michelin Pilot Sport 4S tires. You can't have convenience and circuit packs at the same time. Okay. Will you answer this later on? which you would fit if it was your money? Yes. Okay. In a word. We'll get to that later then. I think that anyone who knows me already knows the answer. Another question I was asked was about parts prices, and I asked what I could about that. Obviously, nobody's seen the parts price lists and the servicing price lists just yet. But it was pointed out to me that the significantly larger numbers of this hot Yaris uh, compared to previous hot Yaris's which shall remain unnamed. It's one of 25,000 at least, as opposed to one of 400 or, or 600, if you include the Japanese cars, should mean that parts prices and some running costs come down dramatically compared to the Yaris GRMN. It was also pointed out that the way of developing this car was slightly different in that with the Yaris GRMN, it was this sort of point, okay, what can we all fit into this? How can we make this really cool? And they built it, then they essentially went out and then copied that 400, 600 times. Mm -hmm. Lots of things were custom built, not quite as taken from other vehicles in the Toyota range or engineered for manufacture, which in turn has meant that they cost significantly more than they might otherwise have done. So prices for bits, people who want to know this, because this was the biggest, most popular question on the Yaris GRMN Facebook group, was find out about parts prices, Alan. That's the best I could do, I'm afraid. <laughs> the other part of that, this is important, and this is really good, is that they are looking to set up 65 Gazoo specialists across the UK, which will have demonstrators of all the GR cars in and available at the showroom, as well as Gazoo product knowledge. Ooh. Those of us who have turned up to a Toyota dealer and been met with something along the lines of, well, of course, we've not seen one of these before. 
we're not really sure from the service manager, which is not really make you feel that good about stuff. <laughs> I just about did a little dance around the uh, around the press carriage at that one because because that means a lot. Do you know how close your nearest gazoo is going to no, be? No, chances are I would almost put money on it being coventry being one of them it's got a very good reputation mansfield has a very good reputation as well for knowing the outer edges of the ranges that's really good for owners of existing vehicles and prospective owners that's a really good thing to know well that hopefully also reassures anyone coming to look in to get into the sub yeah that toyota in it for the long haul this isn't just a five to ten year project and right we'll move on to something else if if you are looking to invest in the dealer setup mm-hmm. and get the dealers on board, then you must be showing some form of commitment to this sub-brand. Yeah, I'll do the It's Toyota. They don't really give up very easily or very quickly. Oh, you've actually mentioned something there. Uh, you'll notice that it's GR Yaris, not GRMN. So outside of Japan, they seem to have quietly dropped the GRMN bit because originally – there used to be shown this graphic which had the race team at the top and then it had GR Men, GR, and then GR Sport, which is a trim line on things. So you'll have seen it on the on the previous generation Yaris. You've seen it on the Corolla. Today, as we record, Monday the 9th, they announced it for the CHR. Mm-hmm. That's the trim line. So it's a bit like the M Sport, the N line, uh, and that those yeah, in other manufacturers, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's like, like it's, it's we're, we're giving stuff. you a nicer trim. Elements have been taken from the sportier models, but yeah. we're not saying that this is a hot car. Yeah, yeah. Generally, I'd say that's true. Yes, I asked about that, and I'm still well. People said it was too complicated, so they've, they've slimmed it down. So we're unlikely to see GRMN in Europe for the net for the foreseeable. So it's going to be just GR is as hot as it gets. Being incredibly selfish as someone who potentially has to say this often, I'm happy with the GR. <laughs> Honestly, I'm not saying it's to the level of uh, so what is an infinity, but it does get a little bit tiring. Yes. I actually think it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Comp prices for these different prices. Yeah, sorry. This is you can tell this is going to take a long time. The base GR is twenty nine 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 five on the road. The convenience pack is thirty two thousand one hundred and seventy five pounds on the road, and the circuit pack is thirty three thousand four hundred and ninety five pounds. And before anyone goes thirty three and a half thousand pounds for a Yaris, then go back to the beginning and listen to what I said just then, would you? Over two years at zero percent finance with eight thousand miles a year from toyota right at the moment that's 269 pounds a month 289 pounds a month or 299 pounds a month and later ladies and gentlemen i will ask alan how difficult the decision has been for him yes <laughs> that actually that seems incredibly good value it's phenomenal value by the time i'm finished you'll be going how because that it's a, 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 it's a steal price wise for the overall cost that is in the ballpark of the type r the rs it's cheaper than the type r the rs isn't at the minute so it's definitely cheaper than that it's cheaper than the i30n there was a graph it was towards the left we were reassured that nothing had been left out to the left to make it look better 
Yes, because looking at the room, the picture that was sent of who was in the room at the time, that would be exactly the sort of question the awkward so-and-sos who were sat in the chairs mm -hmm. whilst there was a presentation being given would ask. So rest assured, ladies and gentlemen, it wasn't just yeah. Alan that is the, the one that would ask the awkward question. The room was full of them. The only option you can get at the minute are paint. Pure white is free. It's included in the price of just I've just quoted. Precious black, <laughs> which is metallic black, is £585. It's free. It's quite nice. The white's white. It's fine. There is also platinum white pearl, which is pearlescent white, and scarlet flare, which is kind of metallic-y, reddy, burgundy color, which is lovely. The pearl white and scarlet flare cost you £880. Which is quite a lot of colour tax and quite a small car. Yes. I'm guessing there's many, many layers to make up that paint. <laughs> I would imagine it's a very nice paint. The pictures I've seen that you shared, that does look the nicest colour to me. For me. There was some debate about what lights and, and stuff. The black is quite nice. And if you want it to be super stealth, it's the one to have. The pure white is fine. The pearlescent white is really nice which I'm surprised to hear myself say that. But the one for me would be Scarlet Flare. And the car I drove was a circuit pack in Scarlet Flare, which is the spec what I would order. Okay. Because why do you order a rally car without the fancy diffs? You've got to have the fancy diffs. It's a no-brainer. <laughs> nice as the eight-speaker JBL stereo would be, nice as the head-up display would be, it's got to be the circuit pack. I don't know why you'd buy it and not have the circuit pack just generally for people okay that's lots of talk about the car in general we'll cover some stuff in a bit more detail so let's begin as we always do with the outside overall if you look at it in profile it's like a stubbier vw sirocco it's like micro machines doing a vw sirocco that's actually what it's what it's like mm -hmm. it sits quite high it's a three-door it's got quite a stubby little bonnet and it actually goes from being quite high at the front to being really low at the back uh, when you look at it head on it is a squat square little car overall it is 55 millimeters longer than the five door yaris all of that's in the overhangs it's 15 at the rear and 40 mil at the front longer i believe it's 60 mil wider and it's 45 mil lower overall Obviously, because it's a rally car, it has bumps and bulges and scoopy things. They are all functional to a greater or lesser extent, even the bumps. Air, for example, can go in the outermost scoops at the front, round the wheel arch down the side to help with stability and fun aero witchery that goes on around these things. Yes, in your pictures, I can see that there are holes in them, their vents, which is a nice thing to see. I went back through all the things. Now, it's not always the entire vent that's a hole, but every vent is functional yeah. to a greater or lesser extent. Because I went back through the pictures just to make sure... <laughs> I was quite glad I'd taken them. The roof drops from the highest point in the car. The roof then drops to the rear by 95 mil. The only reason, as I think I said earlier, it wasn't further is because rear passengers are probably going to have to have heads. The idea of that is it sucks the airflow down. It makes the spoiler work much better and much more efficiently. Yeah, again, in the, in the pictures you've shared, which there will be a couple in the show notes, so do have a look mm. uh, at that, everyone. Yeah, I'll put a bunch in. But... What I will note is how, because you've mentioned it now, I, I can see how marked the drop is and how it really mm. does appear to be almost like a a coupe, but without there being a little bit of boot out the back. 
Yeah, that's why I'm saying this is a lot like a Scirocco yeah. type of shade, definitely around the, the sort of top half. Most of the exterior panels, so the bonnet, boot, doors, are aluminium because WRC rules. WRC says that the race car must use the same materials as the production cars for the same parts. So if your bonnet is made of steel on your production car, the bonnet on your rally car has to be made of steel. If you happen to build a very carefully designed production car, which happens to have aluminium wings, aluminium bonnet, etc., then, hey, you're allowed to use those on your rally car. Overall, that's a 24 kilogram saving mm-hmm. in doing that over using steel. So they use they use aluminium then on the um, the rally cars. I, I would have... They will do now. Crikey. It's not for the extensions, but for the actual, you know, not for yeah, the yeah. extensions. But, we, yeah. Alan, we need to get the Motoring Podcast Aluminium Forging Company going for next I time know. WRC goes anywhere. <laughs> Too right, yeah. And there's bits that go everywhere. At least it's easy It's easy to recycle and it gets a good price whenever they weigh in the knackered bits. <laughs> Frameless doors, which is always a win for me. Could only been better if there'd been a little place for my sunglasses up above the windscreen, which is another thing I love on cars. Frameless doors, that makes me happy. Supposedly there's all sorts of good reasons about not having to strengthen them and better wind sealing and all sorts of things like that. But frameless doors are good. Ruth, this is this is as nerdy as we get on this one. I find that hard to believe. <laughs> is a new forged carbon polymer called CSMC, or Carbon Sheet Moulding Compound, which I have actually heard of before. But this particular blend was made especially for this car. Okay. The trouble is it doesn't look very carbon fibery at all very attractive, but it is very light and very strong. So they have then had to put a carbon fibre weave look and wrap over it to make it look more like carbon fiber very good of them to make it look like the 70s and then we're going to have uh vinyl roofs are coming back in now it's not it is not vinyl i'm roof. joking i am just, i am you, joking yeah. i'm pulling alan's leg here no it, it does I, I do like the contrasting roof yeah it's it's really smart and there's also quite a nice sort of ridge it's sort of a little bit zagato-ish so it's a bit higher at the sides than it is in the middle as well. I'm sure there's aero benefits, but rigidity as well. I was going to ask if that was aeros, yeah. I imagine it's one or the other. Supposedly part of the testing for this involved getting two rally drivers to jump up and down on top of the roof. Because if they can't do that to it, then they can't celebrate when they win the rally. Thinking it all the way through. I like this. Mm-hmm. It brings three and a half kilograms of weight saving and lowers the center of mass by something ridiculous like two and a half millimeters all on its own. And no, they don't offer a panoramic glass roof option, funnily enough. I presume that translates to something massive for a car hurtling around muddy, dusty, tarmacy tracks. Possibly. Elsewhere in here, it points out that the engine sits two millimeters further back in this than it does in the standard Yaris. And it was just like, oh, right. Yeah, I can feel that. Um, <laughs> okay, if you insist. Yeah, but if you're going to make an homologation special, you are really going to shout about it. <laughs> you're going to homologate the living socks off it, <laughs> yes. including here's another good one the rear bumper. It isn't made of the normal sort of ABS injection mold plastic that that you would see in a. What would I use? 
glass-filled ABS. It's made of normal plastic, but something called TSOP, or Toyota Super Olefin Polymer, <laughs> which itself results in a weight saving of 38%. I, I don't know. It's, I just I copied and pasted from the very large document of nerdiness. Uh, results in a weight saving of 38% and is also easy to recycle. Not that you'll need to. <laughs> I do hope not. Well, it's not that there'll be anyone close enough to the back of you. Well, if you've got those giant brakes. <laughs> yeah, we're coming to the brakes. We're coming to the brakes. Vents at the front, as I said, they're all functional to a greater or lesser extent. The main grille is big and square because that's exactly the same size and shape as the radiator behind it. On the road car or the rally? On the road car. Oh, okay. On the road car. On the circuit pack, if you get the forged 10-spoke wheels... And they are five stud wheels on each one. So I like the fact that the spoke, they only offer wheels where the number of spokes is a multiple of the number of studs. I have a real thing about that, despite the fact I have five spoke wheels on my car with four stud wheels, is that that is the optimum of sharing out all the forces, distributing it right through the wheel. So it's 15 spoke wheels if you buy standard or convenience pack, 10 spoke forged wheels forged bbs alloys so they'll be 10 a penny <laughs> and they give you an overall saving of 10 kilos mm. so two and a half kilos per wheel that way so there you go and i think that does it for the outsides anything i've obviously missed andrew not that i can think of no cool you, you covered i didn't most think of there it. was much space for it's not overly large so there's not a lot of exterior but there's a lot of bits and pieces in there inside then you're going to start at the boot like you should. We're going to start at the boot, as we always do. 470 litres with the 60-40 split rear seat in place. That's quite large. It's not bad. And it's a nice regular shape as well. It's quite deep. It's quite regular. It looks good for most stuff. I noticed from your pictures, they've got the iGo system for... They have. So whenever you lift... <laughs> so to look under the boot floor, the boot floor is made of very thin fibre stuff. The sort of rigid fiber matting yeah but it's only four or five mil thick maximum but but also the rear parcel shelf as well but it's folded yeah we're coming to those uh <laughs> that, that, but the way it, it does it so when you lift it up so it doesn't just flop back down it's folded and it actually catches on two little moldings down the side of the rear luggage cover as well so it holds it in place so you can then reach the battery which is in there obviously where the spare wheel would be well it frees up space under the bonnet for the 10.6 <laughs> litre intake air filter and the and, <laughs> but it means that you don't have a spare wheel i know it means you don't have a spare wheel instead of that you've obviously got compressor and tire repair goop there's a bit of space in there as well. There's, so if you wanted to put some tools and some bits and pieces, there is room under in, in that sort of bit. But it's not really an undercroft, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Dear, before you go on, though, dear other car manufacturers, if your mm -hmm. boot floor is not held up by some sort of system in the boot, yeah. go away and sort it out because that is an yeah. absolute pain in the backside. So once again, I like the way that somebody's thought this through for being used. Frankly, if they can do it for this, they can do it for anything. Yeah. The, the amount of thinking stuff through is quite ridiculous here. So 470 litres with the rear seat up. Don't have a figure for them folded. But when you fold them, they go flat right the way from just inside the boot lip, you know, from the drop inside the boot lip, right the way back of the front seats is all flat. And supposedly there is enough space for a set of track wheels and tyres <coughs> or a bicycle. 
I imagine they tried both and failed, so it's it's one or t'other. But it's practical. You'll be happy there, Richard Brunning. Tires and wheels. <laughs> yeah, yeah, wheels and tires, not a problem. <laughs> parcel shelf. It isn't a parcel shelf. It is a luggage cover. It is thin black fabric on a plastic hoop. That is the correct shape. It is held in place by two string loops that hook over two little hooks behind the back seats. Mm-hmm. So it just hangs, for want of a better term. But that's all it needs to do. That's all it needs to do. That's all it does, is it covers the luggage. But the lightest amount of weight required to do the job. And I love that the fact that when you open the boot, it does lift, and it lifts because there is a wee piece of string. <laughs> that is studded it's a pop stud Mm. into the boot below the glass and that is just enough to just lift it so it's out of the way it is absolutely beautiful minimal engineering we need a way of covering the luggage we need it we want the, the we want that cover to lift up when you open the boot lid yeah and they've done it other thing to notice is below the sort of very edges of, of round the rear window and stuff there aren't plastic moldings it is again it's that sort of gray fuzzy fiber stuff that has been molded uh for the, the into the for the little recesses behind the rear wheels uh, in there so there's no hard plastics surrounding the boot similarly there's no bare metal mm-hmm. but there's no hard plastics uh, because they would be heavy and more expensive to put in to to tool for and all these kind of things. So really, really neat problem solving there. Even if the rest of the car was, I don't know, just shopping hatch, lovely, lovely problem solving, which just gives you a really warm and fuzzy feeling about all the other stuff. Mm-hmm. Moving forward to the rear seats, uh, I kind of forgot they were there, to be honest, and who cares? They are two sculpted seats, so it's very definitely a four-seater. It's really a two-plus-two. And there's a small sort of oddment hole between them, which is an understandable thing rather than just having a little platform because anything you put on a flat surface in this car will end up off the flat surface relatively quickly, either in the back seats or in the front passenger footwell. Ask me how I know. How do you know, Alan? (laughs) It's because that's where everything ended up. Yeah, I wouldn't want to spend too long back there. Privacy glass in the back as well, so people can't see your wheels or your bicycle, which is quite good. Front is really the bit that matters. Ultra suede, covered, sports, decently bolstered seats. Nothing ridiculously aggressive. Probably less aggressive than my own. They're very similar in shape and style to the Corolla front seats the corolla sport tourer xl specs sport tourer that i had okay i would not be surprised if they are very closely related this is not a bad thing they were phenomenally comfortable seats in the summer over long journeys they were very comfortable seats uh, over a couple of hours last week as well they do sit quite high it's a little bit of an unusual driving position it's not uncomfortable it's just unusual and i'm used to sort of quite perched driving positions but I think I got in the car expecting to sit much lower to find that actually I was I was still sort of yeresy height. Mm-hmm. But once you're in, everything's, you know, rake reach steering column, lots of adjustment in the seats, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But two things that stood out really are the pedal spacing. Supposedly it's so the driving gods can heel toe and stuff. Um, not that that's particularly necessary. And just how high the, the gear lever is. So the gear lever's got really quite a short throw. Okay. It's really positive. It's really clean. It's better than the GRMN, which is still a bit like stirring porridge. Way, way better than that. But 
what's really notable is just how high it sits and how close to the steering wheel it is. That's got a sort of uh, MX-5 vibe about it. A little bit. But in the MX-5, you almost expect it because you are all reclining yeah, yeah, and stuff. Yeah. Whereas here, for the first half an hour, it feels a bit weird because you're still quite upright. But yes, it is. It's that sort of just about a hand span. I know I've got big hands, but just about a hand span away from, from the steering wheel to the, the gear lever. Yeah. It falls easily to hand, etc., etc. <laughs> in the style of an Andrew, I'll quickly run through the center console. So starting just about your hit point. There are a pair of cup holders beside a manual handbrake, which is for the skids, was there purely because whenever they were doing their original research, they realized just how much rally drivers use the handbrake. So as a result, manual handbrake, no electronic silliness. There's a little World Rally Champion sticker, which is quite nice. And then there are buttons for turning off the stop-start the traction and stability uh, and for turning on something called imt i'll talk about that in a little while then there's the gear shift six speed plus reverse obviously Uh, and then in front of that is 12 volt socket and the gr4 mode selector with normal sport and track modes up above that there's usb and aux ports then a little shelf in front of the concealed air vents which really should have a little grippy mat on it Maybe more than once my phone was only rescued from ending up in the back seat by the fact it was plugged into a USB cable. Oh, okay. It's like the phone comes sailing off as like dunk, as, it, as it catches on the tether, and and then you sort of have to sort of grapple around and try and find it and put it back up there because we're using uh, Google Maps as the navigation. Above that, the air vent, central air vent's quite nice. They're sort of concealed under the screen, so you have got that little shelf, and then they're just sort of behind the shelf. Oh, okay. Didn't seem to make them any less efficient it's just quite a nice neat trick i think standard yaris has that as well yeah and then the entertainment screen at the top eight point something inches coolest thing about the entertainment and not just that it has carplay yay in a toyota yay (laughs) and android auto as well which actually meant i didn't go off and poke through all the menus as i normally do but it's right hand drive volume knob is on the right hand side of the screen well where's the fun in that You've got to sort of uh, dislocate your shoulder, reaching all the way across. None of that. I think it's because it's built in Japan. That's why we've got that. So that's that's great. I presume you've got the volume control and stuff buttons on steering wheel and all that sort of stuff yeah, as well. But yeah, I don't know about you, but if I'm just making fine controls, I'm fine with the steering wheel. But if I actually want to turn it down, if I'm sort of pulling up to a toll booth or a McDonald's drive through ordering point or something like that i want to turn everything quite a long way down okay and so i just want to do it quickly and, and turn that down oh the car plays right hand drive as well oh i think that threw me initially <laughs> that that sounds silly i know but i've got another press car at the minute which has carplay and the carplay is left hand drive so the quick access buttons are all on the far side of the screen and i got in this and the quick access buttons are all on the correct side of the screen on the right hand side of the screen I think that's the first time I've seen right-hand drive CarPlay. Mm. That's a nice attention to detail. It is for me. I don't care about anybody who's left-hand drive. (laughs) But for me, that's a really nice attention to detail and worth mentioning, especially given that I have maybe spent some time in the past complaining about Toyota entertainment system screens, navigation, all that stuff. It seemed to work just fine. Good. I was really quite pleased with it. In front of the driver, obviously, there's a binnacle uh, with a speedo and a rev counter, which goes up to 7,000 revs before the red line. And there's a little 4.18 screen in between, which shows a funky startup graphic, 
as the main screen does. Uh, and then all the usual Toyota functions of trip computer, the safety systems, the music and your settings. There is also, and I missed this, I didn't scroll far enough through, I think. Uh, there is also a boost gauge available and all sorts of other fun silliness, which I, I would actually have quite liked. <laughs> In front of the passenger, there is a shelf long enough for a demi-baguette. It is actually almost useful, unlike the one in the previous generation, Yaris. However, once again, I wouldn't ever really use it in real life because everything you put on it is going to end up in the footwell. Yeah. It's a given. It's a nice place to be. Good. Comfy and cozy place to be, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, and just and just to clarify, you had a couple of hours in with this it's not like you had yeah. weeks or anything so when, when people are listening to this this is these are initial impressions backed up with understanding and reading through the technical briefings and stuff that you got yes sorry this was a launch so hence there's there's a lot at the start because there's lots of briefings and talk and documentation coming out and then a couple of hours and it's a couple of hours all on my own in the car because covid safe and stuff which is no hardship in these, these kind of cases that means you can do what you want as yeah. well it's quite nice having the car to yourself because uh, unless you're with someone that you've got your mates with you do feel a little bit oh i'm so sorry would you awfully mind anyway driving speaking of driving mm -hmm. it's all right okay next technology <laughs> No, yep. I think uh, we get lynched. <laughs> People would march upon us even via the internet to, uh, yes, if you did not describe a little bit of the driving. So, yes. This is, just a quick reminder, a 260 metric horsepower four-wheel drive B segment hatch essentially with 360 newton meters of torque that weighs 1.2 tons giving a power to weight ratio somewhere in the region of 200 brake horsepower per ton it drives like the thinly veiled rally car it is <laughs> so you need to know there we go we're done if you'll excuse another grmn reference as you know andrew from experience uh, and having driven it then the GRMN is very, very good at making straights disappear. Yes. You enter a straight, you think that's a nice long straight, and then, oh, all of a sudden it's gone. Mm -hmm. The big difference, I think, in driving this the, the GR compared to the GRMN is the GR extends that to corners as well. Ah, okay. Is that the four-wheel drive or just the way that it's set up anyway? Bit of both, I think. Okay. Bit of both. There's definitely... Uh, I think one of the one of the reasons is that there is not even on bumpy roads there isn't the torque steer which the GRMN has. Right. The so GRMN has that quaff limited slip diff at the front. Yeah, quaff. No, pardon me, it's a Torsen, isn't it? Uh, Torsen limited. I should know after two and a half years of owning the thing, limited slip diff at the front, and that can make it a bit jumpy. It can really fight you with torque steer. GR has none of that. It is absolutely planted. Okay. So even when the road is a bit bumpy down the side, it is arrow straight, arrow true. It just goes. Of the three modes, I only really tried normal and sport. What's that? You didn't try track on a public road with a launch of a new car? But why not, Alan? <laughs> it, it, well, it turns out I probably could have done and I should have done. And uh, yeah, just give me a few minutes and I'll come to that. But yeah, I only played with those. And the thing was, that even with damp leaf-covered corners and where it's it's wet enough that that if was you're putting your foot down the traction control light comes on ever so briefly it just goes and you do once again have to be very careful about your speed uh, okay one of those cars 
mm, you have to be careful in the GRMN. I'm used to that. But in this, you have to be careful of your speed in the corners as well. I mean, it sticks like a limpet on heat. Is there some theatre from the engine noise and stuff like that to help you remember? Or is it fairly civilised in there? There is engine noise. I want to talk quite a lot about engine noise, so I'm going to be a pain and say, give me another couple of minutes, would you? So the transmission, the GR4 transmission has three modes. They are normal, sport and track. Normal gives you 60-40 front bias. Sport gives you 30-70 rear bias. Mm -hmm. So it mimics something that's slightly rear-wheel drive under heavy provocation. And track gives you 50-50. So I could have used track mode. The modes pertain to the transmission. And other than there's a little bit more red comes into the display on the uh, between the, the dials when you shift it into sport, certainly, and I'm sure it's a bit more red when you shift it into track, it doesn't make any other changes. There were no perceptible differences to anything else. And I haven't found any reference in any of the documentation to say that it does anything other than change the torque split. Okay, It does not make the steering so heavy that you can barely turn it. It doesn't <laughs> do anything stupid to the dampers that the only person who celebrates is your dentist <laughs> uh, or your chiropractor. It doesn't do anything dumb like that. It changes the percentages of where the, the torque goes. And that's great. Loved it. Brilliant. If you can have modes, that's the modes. Those are the modes you need. Uh, uh, I'm not particularly good at all this of tread shuffly, mm, yeah, stab of under felt a bit like this type talk and all this of pure mojoism. And I did only drive it on public roads, so I was keeping back from being in extremis. And the public roads I didn't know either, which didn't help. What you need to know is it goes where you want it to go, when you want it to go there. Possibly a little bit quicker <laughs> originally than you're anticipating. But it does what you want. And that, to me, is is great. And I'd always much rather have that than something where, oh, yeah, I could just kick the taillight in the corner. No, I want it to go round the corner. I'm someone who's taken MX-5s in the past to alignment places and said, look, you know, roundabouts, just make them disappear for me. That's what I want. I don't want the tail to come out. I don't want it to understeer. I don't want it to do anything silly. I want it to make corners disappear. You're not doing it for the YouTube slides. <laughs> no, exactly. And also, I don't want it to be tracking all over the place on the motorway at the same time. So if we can do that, that would be great. Uh, that seems to be what has happened here. It goes where you want. Worth mentioning that the ride, whilst it is going where you want, is... It's not exactly floaty suppleness, but it is good. You you can still feel the colour of the gravel through your bum, but it's never sharp or jarring. And sometimes I get embarrassed if I have passengers in the GRMN, for example, because it's awfully jiggly. The GR did not feel jiggly. Okay. Now, I've not driven the roads before. I don't necessarily have a, a baseline of a car I know on those roads, but they were not good roads. <laughs> In a lot of cases, I, I feel that's a reasonable thing to say. 18-inch alloys, by the way. I don't know if I've mentioned that. I think I've no, you, you talked about how how they're made. but Yes, but not the actual size of them. Well, that's what happens. They have to be 18 inches because they have to clear the brakes. So the brakes are a bit large, are they? <laughs> the front brakes are two-piece. That's the first thing you need to know. So it's a different uh, center to the actual rotor on the outside. They're vented and grooved. 356 millimeter diameter 
by 28 mil wide at the front with four pot calipers. Four pot? Two pot calipers, it must be. Pardon me. Should slow you down a bit then. Well, they're bigger than the Supra brakes. <laughs> so what you need to know is they're bigger than super brakes the rears vented groove 297 by 18 mil uh monoblock calipers calipers at the front the reason i'm saying the two pot calipers they are the same as on the the grmn actually which are the same as on the super wrx but these ones are white with gr logos on if you go for the circuit normally they're red if you go for the circuit pack okay i've taken Yaris round round the ring with smaller front brakes than the rear brakes on this. <laughs> Admittedly, after two laps, they were a bit niffy and needed change whenever I got home. But yeah, they, there is some serious braking there, and that's why quite so much stuff ends up in the front passenger footwell when you sort of forget how much braking is available. So it's great because it's got not just the go, but also the stop too. Good. Always like that in a car. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I find it's important. Engine is 1.6 liter triple as i said uh single scroll turbo with ball bearings as well rather than needle bearings makes it more reliable i'm told keeps it cooler it's 12 valve with uh, dual vvti so as well as the turbo there's two different points where the valves change between 4000 and 7000 revs the thing just goes i mean it doesn't hang around below 4000 either it is nice linear powers barely any lag etc 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 it goes like stink and this engine has been engineered to meet wrc2 regulations as well so there we go we think that we will see these in the lower parts of the world rally championship not just in the the wrc wrc part of it yeah i want to talk for a minute or two about noise because the internet so far has had a problem with the noise that these cars make because they are a triple and they are a turbo so they don't make sort of crazy screaming spitfire noises like the grmn uh, especially as it was doing on friday morning on the way down in the cold i actually can't tell you what it sounds like from the outside because i realized i didn't actually hear one from the outside oh that leads me to my next point really in the my own car which does sound like a spitfire when you're on the go i don't really know what it sounds like from the outside either I've only heard it four or five times because I'm normally in it and I'm driving it. Mm. So I don't care what the rest of you think it sounds like. I want to make sure it's my car. I want it to sound nice for me. The GR doesn't blare. It doesn't make lots and lots of noise from the outside. And not even with the HKS back box. Uh, if you see the HKS one on the internet, Andrew doesn't really know what I'm talking about. But anyone who knows what HKS show cars are like will, will know and nod and smile, I hope then it doesn't sound great. When you're in the driving seat, it uses all sorts of active noise control, microphones and stereo, and some people say that's not pure. I don't care. It sounds great. Yeah, but When you're driving this car, it sounds fantastic. Yeah, but to the people who are complaining about that... They're everyone, not the people who are going to buy everyone, it, so they can shuffle Everyone's off. doing that now. You have to. Because of noise regulations, and now there's the yeah. noise traps being sprung up around the country in this country and there will be other mm. in other countries as well as the fact that it means that there's emission issues if the, mm -hmm. if there's something that large allowing that amount of noise to come out they are getting around that problem by pumping a noise through to us <sighs> the, the only things i'd do is i would actually fit a, a slightly noisier blow off valve and probably a bit more induction noise would be nice so a nice hks filter or something would be great but 
they are purely optional. They are absolutely not necessary. And they're me because I'm like 12 years old inside saying, wouldn't it be cool if it made a bit more noisy? <laughs> you can hear that stuff going. It sounds great. Under that acceleration, that 4 to 7K, it's br- it sounds like a rally car. Don't care what it sounds like from outside. From inside, it sounds like a rally car. That's where the person who's paid the money is. That's where it's important. If it gets too noisy, then the police will just pull you. Yeah. I wouldn't worry about it, no, to be honest. It's the internet being the internet. Oh, and there's no pop bang map or anything like that either. So, yay as well. Although, of course, it might come over time. I know it took my own car two years before it developed the, the occasional pop uh, when it's cold, which is quite cool and quite cute because it's a very soft one. <laughs> you might have noticed there aren't very many fripperies on this car at all. Everything I've told you about is pretty functional you can tell it's there for a reason you can tell that people have thought about it there are a couple of exceptions one of which is imt intelligent manual transmission said small switch down by the handbrake in a non-showy way it will rev match up and down the gears and make you feel like a little bit more of a hero so the whole heel towing thing that's great if you're driving god i'm not i want to be flattered turn on the imt (laughs) it makes it a little less smooth around town so around town you want to turn it off but when you're out on the open road or you're going through twisties and stuff it's really cool because it's one less thing you have to think about i, I kept sort of like jabbing the throttle anyway because i'd been driving the grmn all morning so it was in that kind of mode but it, it's cool you can you can have it or, or not have it the other thing i'm told is that if you jump through all the hoops turn off all the traction and stability helpers which i absolutely did not do i've only been told this what happens is on the little display between the gauges will briefly show the message expert mode <laughs> in there which is fantastically japanese i think that's brilliant uh, i'd have to do it at least once just to see it and what's really worth mentioning is that the other end of the scale from all the pop bang rev matchy stuff the last few miles of the test route took us up some some motorway and some dual carriageway uh so instead of absolutely blotting it back then what i did was i turned on the cruise i set it to 70 i made sure that the lane keeping assist was active and it's adaptive cruise as well and just let the car do its thing and it was really quiet comfortable because that is didn't have to think about it a major point for you on your existing one is that it because it couldn't because of what they were trying what they've crammed into the old platform they couldn't do the cruise control as well so when we get to the allen tests Again, long-time listeners will remember this. In the before times when we could travel, there was the get into Heathrow at 10 o'clock at night and get Mm. Alan home as painlessly as possible. Not Mm -hmm. having cruise control is not the most helpful way to get Alan home as painlessly as possible. I was discussing this afterwards and someone pointed out to me that when they, they spent a little bit longer with the car... And they were saying that, that they'd found that its happy cruise speed that it did was 97 miles an hour. That was where it was happy. That's where it just sat. And that's actually pretty much the same for the GRMN. And that's the problem. It's not that there isn't cruise or it's uncomfortable or anything. It's that you have to try very hard to not break the speed limit or to be a, a sensible driver and to sit with the traffic on motorways rather than hassling the traffic inadvertently. And that's the joy of that. Mm-hmm. that's why i make a big deal about that 
So very cool, very impressive. And again, remember, the only thing that the track that the mode switch does is change the bias. So it is more or less a mode-free car that they have made to do all these things. Okay. So um, technology-wise, presume you open a glove box and Elvin Evan comes out and drives it for you. No, yeah, might as well. <laughs> yeah. There's, as I say, I've got this like 20 pages of press pack here and it's, it just goes through and it outlines all the technology and all the black magic that there is. I mean, it's full of references to thin sheet, high tensile steel, polymer, cast yoke, ball bearing, strengthened frameless carbon fiber, <laughs> multi-jet, oil piston, cooling, electronically controlled, multi-plate, three joint, two axis propeller shaft craziness. And yes, I have actually picked all of those phrases out of it. House? Yeah. <laughs> I know. Now, everyone, you're allowed a drink. <laughs> at that point, after all that, and it wasn't for Alan, it had to drink. <laughs> there is so much, so much in there about the engine and thinning the casting for lightweight, but making sure it's still as strong as all that. There's lots and lots of technology, but it's all in the black magic that, that's hidden. Beyond that, the stuff that we as drivers and users will see on a daily basis. There is, yeah, the, exactly. There is that eight inch touchscreen infotainment. It's got DAB CarPlay, Android Auto. You've got dual zone aircon, smart entry and reverse cameras on all the models also all got the Toyota safety system so it's got pre-collision warning it's got intersection turn assist which detects pedestrians and stuff as you turn cool oh, okay. to sort of make sure that you don't run over people depending on your speed it will apply the brakes for you uh, but it will give you warnings first right it's got intelligent adaptive cruise control so that works right the way down to zero. Oh, okay uh, and then if the pause at zero is less than three seconds it'll pull away again no. if it's longer than that if you just touch the throttle then it will pull away for you as well so again stuff that will just make day-to-day -day use far easier so the chauffeur mode of toyota's attitude to assistance technology yeah, yeah exactly it's, it's not particularly like clutch so that kind of thing is kind of i guess it's quite nice mm -hmm. i don't really know how it's going to deal with that to be honest and lane Trace assist, link keeping assist uh, is in there as well. On the mo on the motorway section, it was no more stressful to drive than the hybrid Corolla wagon that I had in the, in the summer. Uh, also, eCall will call the emergency services uh, when you have an accident. If. Yeah, that too. <laughs> I noticed it doesn't have blind spot, rear cross traffic alert. You only get that on the convenience pack. You don't get that in the circuit pack. Similarly, parking sensors you only get in the convenience pack but all the models have a reversing camera anyway so it's not bothered me for the last three years don't see why it should start bothering me now right okay i mean i think probably the the toughest question you're going to get tonight is so what did you think um there was a lot of hand-wringing and stuff going on, which was almost <laughs> distracting me. It is just... Were you, I cannot for the entire day, car... prodded and made fun of by everyone that was there? Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Well done, everyone who was there. Everyone who knew me, yeah. which means just about, you know, everyone from Thank Toyota. you very much, everybody that was there that Mr. knew Hoff. Alan. Thank you very much. You've. <laughs> I would have been very disappointed in all of you if you hadn't. I might have got <laughs> laughed at for running to Bagsy the appropriate spec of car. And I'm very sorry to the person, I think, from Parker's, who I sort of almost <laughs> elbowed out of the way. 
<laughs> rugby tackled, ran over the top of. No, it was like, no, I'm going to have this one. This is an awesome car. Fantastic pile of technology brought together that just can't make financial sense whatsoever for Toyota. It really can't. And you'd, you'd have to be them to be able to pull it off, to even start to pull it off. £33,000 for the circuit pack is absolute bargain. With the 0% finance packages, you're almost stealing it from them. It's crazily good value. I, I can't believe it. It's crazily good. And then it's crazily good value on top. So you're not going, oh, this is amazing. This is fantastic. It's how much? Which I did with the Golf GTI TCR. Mm. It's just like 10 grand less than that was. It's just nuts. Okay, question for you then. Uh-huh. You particularly liked, or one of the attractive points, and this was a side point, but it has helped with the GRMN, is the exclusivity to it. You have to, mm. We have talked many times about other possible options instead of that and exclusivity did come up a lot of times how do you feel about the exclusivity or relative lack of it with the gr yaris um it's difficult very difficult because the more you speak to people the more they tell you i'm getting one of these or i know this person's got one ordered or i know this and i'm like Anyone who listens to us knows you like a car that's left field. Yeah, but the MX-5, you know, they've sold more than that at the, the, the time. Somehow it didn't bother me. Okay. So so how did you how did you get around that? I had one of the very first ones. <laughs> I had one of them from the first boatload of consumer cars that hit the shores. So the question uh, is... How can Toyota make Alan feel special about his purchase? If well, I mean that's that's the that, that's the ultimate question, really. That and that's the one that everybody who listens wants to know. Is it in your very short list? And I'm not saying the one, but a very short list of potential replacements for your GRMN. Yes. Okay. So, I mean, what what is there in the very short list? The very short list would contain that i30n, i20n is going to have a bleeding hard time of it. Better be something really special in the i20N. Or significantly cheaper. Or significantly cheaper, but that would still have to be special. No, actually, sorry. To, to, to get onto my list, it would have to be special. Okay. You know what I'm like? Special is actually bizarrely more important than, within reason, cheap. Yeah, look, my, my big challenge, Andrew, and this is what I guess lots of people are going to ask, is... Is it special enough? And I just don't know. I'm slightly scared by the fact that lots and lots of people are saying, yeah, I've got one who's getting one or whatever. And that, that actually is a, is a negative for me because I'm so flipping obtuse. <laughs> but the thing is, I don't feel I'm finished with my current car. Mm-hmm. I don't. Well, having nine months where you weren't allowed to drive it, really. Is probably yeah. Well, no, it's not just that. I well. just don't have the urge to to sell it. It doesn't. It doesn't feel like that you've had enough of it yet. No, I, I haven't. I genuinely haven't. And so I, I don't intend on running. Out. And there was a lot of it was a tough drive home. I tell you, 
but I don't feel I've had enough of the GRMN yet. I, I want to keep it for the time being. Six months, let's see how I feel. But in that time, there's also there's a bit of a glut of GRMN coming on the market right at the minute. There'll be other people trading up. There's people's finances finishing. Mm -hmm. There's quite a few listed on Auto Trader. I don't feel I get, and they have significantly fewer miles than mine does. Mm -hmm. So actually, a few months of mine sitting around not doing a lot is good because then it will normalize the mileage uh, because it has a particularly high mileage. Yes, I love it. I really, really like this car. And I'm sure that by just after midnight when uh, tonight, whenever everybody's stuff comes out, then then they're going to say the same. I'll be amazed if they say otherwise. And it's great. And they're right. And when you compare it to stuff like a Civic Type R, I, there's just no, no choice. No, no choice in my mind whatsoever. But not yet for me. And it's not because of the car. It's because I don't feel I'm ready to move on from where I am. And a few more months without car payments is quite nice. Okay. In no shape or form are you not positive about the car. However, your I might your, have to have one for a week. Your particular circumstances and yeah, and things it, it has not made you go. No, I need to get rid of this one now to get that now. And remember, please, everyone, that's because I really love what's sitting outside. Exactly. That it is your particular circumstances. Yeah. 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 If you didn't have the GRMN. This oh, yeah, might yeah, be yeah, a completely yeah. different discussion at this point. <laughs> oh, that would have been a phone call to to Struans months ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a fantastic car. It's a total flipping steal. If you are looking for something, even vaguely for something that is like this, that that if you think any of what I've said strikes a chord with you, go and try this car, or just put your money down and order it. It's it's really really stonkingly awesome it's one of the best cars i've driven since we've been doing this podcast really is okay i think we need to end it there then that is a uh, glowing praise indeed if you want to ask me more questions about this and trust me there are plenty more and loads more detail he has many 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 sheets of paper with notes on everyone feel free to badger him <laughs> Then between now and the next time, you can give me any feedback. Share your thoughts to the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Please don't forget to leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Andrew, what's the best way for folk to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you should find me there. And Alan, with all these questions that people are going to have, what is the best way for them to get in touch with you? As always, it's Twitter, where I'm at AJP Bradley. That's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. Uh, we'll be back before very long, though. But until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.